he is, all the way from America. He's back. What was this, number three? I'm back. I think this is number three. Yes, it's uh, it's definitely been a while, but there's definitely a lot to talk about. So, I love all that. Love a bit of gossip. So, welcome so back. Well. Welcome back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Tomo. How are you? Have you been? Oh, I'm golden. I'm living the dream. That's that's good. <laughs> How's everything going in the UK? Yeah, it's all right. It's cold, but probably not as cold as you. That's that's true. It's like I don't know, 24 degrees Fahrenheit out here. So whatever that converts in Celsius, you know. So it's fine. And snowing, but uh, but yeah, man, it's it's uh, good to be back. Uh, definitely been really busy for the past year. Haven't haven't been able to podcast or record anything for the past year. Do much of my case because uh, yeah, I got sent across the uh across the pond, so to speak, over to CENTCOM. So I was I was over there for for nine months and, and everything else. So, but there was a lot leading up to that as well. So sure we'll get into that. One thing we do have to discuss before we get serious. Sure. You are still rocking the tash. That that's true. See, the thing is, uh when I was overseas, no one knew who I was without a mustache. And uh I got to work intelligence overseas. So people take you way more seriously uh when you wear glasses and have a mustache for some odd reason and when i came back people were just like hey we don't know who you are without a mustache and i think the only person who hates it is probably my wife but she'll get over it well, at this I'll point wife, so my wife won't let me grow one <laughs> i've sort of got one part of the well i say beard it's not really a beard um and that uh, my tash is the only thing that grows to awesomeness everything else sort of would probably blow away in a gust of wind, but the tash. <laughs> I'm like, every year I'm like, I might just rock the tash. And she's like, don't you fucking dare. You'll look like your dad. I'm like, <laughs> I already say I look like my dad anyway. So I might as well just do it. I might just. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with the, uh, the, uh, the official dick broom, as we like to say. So. It's called it's fine. Turkey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's get into it. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about some, uh, some case updates and kind of like how that progressed, you know, for the past, since our last podcast. So been pretty quiet about what's been going on and, you know, with the Dorito versus USA thing. And, you know, for those who don't know, you can go listen to the Andy Stump podcast, listen to the previous Granite Zero podcast about, you know, what my case is against the Air Force Academy and how they falsified my medical records. But interestingly enough is since we last talked, uh, I did end up going on Denver 7. And we ended up talking on the news again. You guys can see that video clip on my website, adamdorito.com. And basically, we got the White House involved in the Secretary of Defense. So that's pretty much the two highest people in, in the military chain of command. We thought we were going to get some results because it became quite public at that point. So we sent a letter to uh, President Biden. We sent a letter to Secretary of Defense uh, Austin, Lloyd Austin. And we got a reply back. And they said, hey, we're working on this. We're trying to rectify it. There's been a meeting you know, because what happened was in the last Air Force Board of Corrections and Military Records, they came back and said, you know, you definitely received an injustice. We're going to correct your records. Well, the problem was they just never did it anyway. So even though the recommendation board came back and said, you won your your board, we're still not going to give you your degree, so to speak, but we'll give you your medical records corrected back, which is, I mean, 50% win. I'll take over nothing at this point. And uh, they just never did it. The Air Force is continuing, the Air Force Academy, I should say, is continuing to fight the fact that they don't want to change my records. And they're still trying to say uh, that I have a mental problem and I'm crazy and all these other things. So it got put on hold and it's been in this waiting realm. Like we've been waiting for over a year 
probably 18 to 18 months to two years at this point, getting any kind of response from the DOD, from the president of the United States. And they, the president of the United States had directed an IG investigation, which is pretty good. But the problem is, and this is the case with every single IG case. And for those who don't know what IG means, it means inspector general. So the inspector general is basically the internal investigator within the military. Well, they came back and said, well, we, we don't think the Air Force Academy did anything wrong without giving any evidence to what their review was. We're just <laughs> like, well, wait a minute. So we have all this evidence that they committed fraud. We have the evidence that they committed fraud. We have the paperwork showing they committed fraud. But because the Air Force Academy says we definitely didn't do anything wrong and we still think he's crazy, then you're not going to do any type of investigation. Like we didn't do any deposition. We didn't get called into any office to sit down and do an interview with any of the IG investigators. They just one day sent an email saying uh, we decided that the Air Force Academy did nothing wrong and we stand by their decision. So the president of the United States and secretary of defense have refused to do anything in addition because now they're saying, well, the Air Force Academy has provided even more mental health records and evidence saying that you're nuts. I'm like, well, where do these mental health records keep coming from? Because they just keep populating out of the ionosphere. Are they calling you in and going, hey, Adam, you fancy another mental test? Because... No, so that's that's the hilarious part. Is, uh, stuff. So I'm just going to call you in and, well, I'm going to pretend to call you in and then I'm going to go, here's some new records. He's still mad. Yeah, and it's it's honestly just the wow. case of the Air Force trying to cover up for itself in the Air Force Academy. And I, I have never seen these types of corruption. Like they really don't want to admit that they're wrong because if they admit that they're wrong, you're, you're opening up many avenues for yeah, other yeah. cadets. Who have had yeah. the same issues. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a big tin of worms. Um, and for those of you who've listened to, so we started our own podcast too about my entire case. So we did season one of Dark Saber, and it got pretty heavy because not only did we tell my story up to the point pretty much where we were with Grant Zero um, in depth over 10 episodes, but we interviewed my former commander. We interviewed cadets who are currently at the Air Force Academy now uh, back in 2019 and 2020. And the same things were going on, which is when cadets report sexual assault, they have their mental health records messed with, and it affects their ability to commission. Uh, it affects their ability to fly. So this has been a continuing problem at the Air Force Academy that they will not admit to. And some of the things have died down. So some of the leadership has changed out since 2020, 2019, when we did that first season. And things are generally better under General Clark and General Moga. The two new, uh, the Commandant is the one star, General Moga and the superintendent is general clark the three-star him and i actually had an email conversation you know where i pretty much asked him hey just do the right thing and you know i'm willing to work with you on this you know my my goal is not to burn the academy down my goal is to make the academy better you know because and we'll talk about this later in your podcast but it is absolutely critical that we develop good lieutenants it is absolutely critical that we develop a good officer corps because if we don't we're fucked um especially with the massive changing we're seeing in ttps uh with against china against russia against iran and we'll talk about my experience in CENTCOM, but it is a problem. We can't have leaders that do not have the courage to command. We cannot have complacent lieutenants anymore. It is uh, that meant that might have been a GWAT thing, you know, where we got so used to being the best and having the best air power and having the best tanks and missiles. And, you know, we're trying to fight some guys in Afghanistan with overwhelming firepower. And occasionally we'd have some losses because of an IED. That is not the case in the current sphere of combat overseas now. Uh, we are on equal footing with some of these capabilities. And it is very unnerving uh, because Americans do not realize the the massive threat that's being presented with overseas. And uh, one thing I think that you have also seen probably over the past few months uh, is the woke culture being developed in the military. 
and uh, a lot of talk about transgenderism. And although I have nothing against your personal choice as a human, uh, there are some things that it's going to affect your your ability to to lead in military service. Because if you're so focused inward on yourself and you're so focused on the status quo, you're focused on politics, you're not focused on the mission. And, and that is definitely something that's going to affect uh, our future leaders and our ability to lead. So, you know, going back to what I expect from them is, you know, what do we do with the Air Force Academy, right? And it's uh, it's concerning because I've never in my life. Give me a sec. <laughs> no, you're fine. Got a couple of I've got the Air Force flying over now. They're like adding Doritos chatting. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a stop to this. To be fair, it might not get picked up on the mic, but that, that was pretty low coming over my my poor That's little shell. Actually, I actually didn't hear it, but um. Yeah, so so our biggest concern is the Air Force has been stalling and stalling and stalling, and we believe that they're trying to stall it out to April 2023, which is coming up pretty soon, because that is when the statute of limitations expires from the date of discovery, right? So we discovered my mental health records were falsified in April of 2017 when I was trying to go fly Apaches, and they know by law, you know, I have to get another federal lawsuit registered and filed against them before that date. But if they keep putting off the evidence requests, they keep putting off the FOIA requests, which is the Freedom of Information Act, and they keep delaying it, they're going to try to time themselves out by, um, you know, just by that, that legal standard, you know, which is unfair. So even though they know they did something wrong and they they know they're committing a crime, that they're going to be able to get out of it because of statute limitations, right? So we've been pushing pretty hard to go back to another Air Force Board of Corrections military records to once again demand that my records be corrected because they agreed to correct them in the past. And uh, on the other side, there's a second lawsuit internally, which is the medical malpractice lawsuit. So the medical malpractice lawsuit states that, you know, the doctor under the Air Force care uh, did not fulfill their duties and they violated their Hippocratic oath. They, the Air Force actually made me go hire my own expert witness to analyze their records to determine if the and then the air force from the expert witness results will decide whether they committed fraud or not so we can obviously assume what that answer is going to be they're going to come back and probably say well we didn't commit any fraud because we said so despite what your expert witness says so we are waiting about where the federal lawsuit is going to progress from there and the medical malpractice lawsuit and they're just trying to buy their time uh, in the meantime we did record season two for dark saber we haven't released it yet because it's pretty contentious. So we didn't want to release it when I was on deployment because I wouldn't be able to answer questions or deal with all the hate mail uh, that we're going to get from season two. Uh, we dove in a little bit more and we expanded outside of the Air Force Academy. So we talked to kids from West Point. We talked to kids from the Naval Academy. Uh, we talked to former people that were kicked out who experienced similar situations. So, so it's force wide then. It's not just the Air Force. It correct. It's not. Yeah, it's not just the Air Force Academy. Uh Granted, I can talk a lot about the Air Force Academy because that was my personal experience, but but we we know that this is a federal service academy problem of trying to keep things quiet, and they have determined that the institution and Division One sports, especially American football, are more important than seeking justice for sexual assault, retaliation, and medical records falsification. So this is something that we've been pushing for really hard, and uh, it's really disappointing to see how the American Congress and the American politicians have responded to this because especially in the state of Colorado, you had representatives like Ken Buck, who was my personal representative until this past year where it changed districts. Uh, but he gets a lot of votes from the Air Force Academy and he doesn't want to go against the people that pay his bills, right? So uh, it's like that old saying is the good old boys club. Exactly. And you have a lot of corruption in the they're state all, of Colorado. All in on it. 
if you want to go down the conspiracy theory fucking route. From the oh, top, they all are. Yeah, absolutely. Top, top, top guy. Yeah, even uh, even a Governor Polis, who is a Democrat, uh, he's the first, uh, I think, one of the first gay elected governors uh, in the state. <laughs> he uh, he won't even go against the Air Force Academy because it's the second largest source of tourism revenue for the state of Colorado next to skiing, right? So you're talking about both sides of the political spectrum in American politics, Republicans and Democrats are all in on protecting these federal service academies because they bring in so much money to their parties. And instead of doing the right thing, you know, why would they care about one guy who had a problem at USAFA over what, geez, 13 years ago at this point, even though these cases are ongoing, uh, they just hide it. Right. I mean, even on the air force jurisdictional docket this year alone, there's four cadets up for court martial for sexual assault and rape charges, uh, right now. Right. So. Madness. You know, it, it's not even, it's not even just over, over there. It's over here as well. So we've literally, for the for our Metropolitan Police, which is uh, obviously the police force in London, uh, there's a another, another, this is how bad it is, I don't know how many there are, but apparently there are thousands of these cunts that are rocking around. So this, this guy has just been, um, he's been, he's been sacked to start with, but obviously he's going to be depending on a trial. He's been caught for rape um, by basically using his badge to rape women. And it's throughout the force, throughout the force, this is happening. And it's only just coming to light. And now they've just come out and said, oh, we're going to do a bit more vigorous background checks on these people. It's like, why are you not doing that anyway? This is our police force. We're supposed to trust in them and they're going around raping people. It's, it's oh, mate, fuming. What do you think the source of, you know, this corruption of power is in these systems? I, I, you know, from down to the lowest commandant, so down to the lowest sort of rank, it's got, it's got to be, especially in terms of the police force, it's got to be a power thing where they think that they've got the power over civilians and they're not going to do anything because it's the police force. And the like this got this guy had multiple reports against him and he had multiple he, he was on charge for multiple different things and it's like how how is he still allowed to be working how is he not arrested but it's it's as though because it's the police they're going to cover up their own fucking mess until oh he's been caught again oh we better leak we got better leak something and make an example it's like he should have been made an example of before that yeah i mean that's that's the crazy like, part and that, I, it's like what i just said a second it's the good old boys club yeah i mean and even the u.s military especially you see a lot of the lower ranking people take the hits or cadets take the hits but at the end of the day i have never ever seen an officer higher no. ranking general secretary of defense anyone be held accountable for this and we've had countless countless reviews in Congress and we've had all these complaints and we've had all these issues and we had even had the Vanessa Guillen case which got super famous in the United States when that girl was literally murdered by a guy that she reported chopped into pieces buried in concrete burned and not a single person uh, in her chain of command went to jail and they were reporting her present for PT they were just pencil whipping her status she wasn't even there you know, and uh, her, her NCO, not her platoon leader, not her battalion commander, not a single person was held accountable for those actions. And 
And then even then, there was more murders and, and deaths that happened after her that, you know, that have gone unnoticed. But, you know, unfortunately, she's a woman and they pay attention to that, but they don't hear about all the other suicides and drug overdoses and, and everything else going. But it's, uh, it's, it's something that was like my main focus, I would say, overseas and something I constantly reiterated to a lot of the young officers was, you know, you have to have the courage to command. You can't just you can't just be staying in this position because you got the rank, you did the school, you went to officer candidate school or whatever it was, and now you get to lead eight to ten guys or gals or whatever it is, and now you're just worried about your own career. At the end of the day, you have to have the courage to do the right thing, and this is something that is uh, critical in the U.S. military, especially from my experiences that we're seeing now is nobody wants to take responsibility and nobody has the balls to do the right thing and just come out and say, you know what, this is wrong. I'm going to put my rank and my, my title on the line, but at the end of the day, I'm sticking up for what's right. And I, I just don't understand it because that is the exact opposite of what we're trained in basic training in the military. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll go through, uh, our air force, obviously our, uh, our core, our core motto is rise which is uh, respect, integrity, service, service before self, and excellence. You know, that's drummed into you. I don't know where he's going. I don't know what he's doing. He's coming back. He's back. But yeah, like I said, um, our motto is rise. So respect, integrity, service before self, and excellence. And you're drum, that's drummed into you from day one week one but it's as though as soon as you start going up the chain you're no, it's no longer service before self you're trying to better yourself and it's like a lot of people forget that you are now being put into a leadership role to lead people i'm not saying like everybody is a shit nco or a shit, shit senior nco or a shit officer but you know there's a there's a large chunk that do it because it's their career and they want to be up at the top which is you know that everybody wants to get to the top but then you've got to put like you said you've got to put the balls your balls on the line you've got to put your rank on the line and if something's not right you know when did right and wrong stop being at the forefront of things and i would say a, another contributing factor to that is is definitely the uh the newer nco core um, at the end of the day, the NCOs are going to be connecting that lower enlisted to the officer realm. And sometimes even the NCOs that I've worked with, uh, become more careerist or they become too focused on the wrong thing, or they become too, uh, blinded by what's going on. Um, and this is, and this is something that I guess right before deployment, we should talk about, I mean, what kind of happened with Afghanistan, because this, this actually tied in directly to what happened with a lot of the Air Force Academy people. Uh, that I was involved with. So uh, for those who don't know, I actually went to school with the first Afghan transfer cadet to the Air Force Academy. So from the Afghan Air Force Academy from 2006 to 2010, he now works for the Department of Homeland Security here in the United States. But when we were evacuating Afghanistan last minute, uh, his family was still trapped in Afghanistan. And he reached out to me uh, knowing that I work with uh, special operations here. And he's like, hey, do you have anybody you know that can go get my family? I mean, that's a huge ask. One, to, just to clarify, I work at a forward support company for special forces. I am not a Green Beret. 
yeah. I just tap them on the butts and throw them out of planes type to speak. Make sure they have uh, food and water and make sure they can get to work on time, so to speak, right? But, you know, what happened was I just started reaching out to my contacts internally uh, from who I know here. And then I started reaching out to um, Air Force people as well, just using my network. And ironically, I actually met some Air Force Special Operations Command people through the back door. We started talking on uh, the certain app we have on our phone to try to keep communications as secure as possible. And myself, a few of my classmates and I, uh, Major Meldrum, who's a Marine Corps uh, Reserve Officer now, who I went to the academy with as well. He crossed commissions to the Marines as well. Uh, we kind of formulated a plan and we and we formulated a team where we had Air Force Pararescue, Special Tactics, uh, Special Forces guys, and Marine uh, Special Operations Command guys that were on ground that we were able to communicate with directly with our cell phones. And we wow, ended up getting, yeah, it was it was nuts because we were able to accomplish more than our own government was through the back channels. So, hey, I know the C-17 pilot, and I know this guy who happens to be on this street and, you know, driving this Toyota Hilux, and he's going to go down there, and you're going to meet him by the red sign next to the, you know, uh, next to these three rocks placed in this certain pattern. Right. And we did end up getting our classmates family out, which was amazing. I mean, we, we didn't even know we were gonna be able to pull that off. But then after that, we started getting more requests. Hey, can you get my interpreter out? Can you get my friends out? Can you get yeah. guys it's, I worked out without? It's fucking mad in terms of that sort of thing. Like obviously you had your, your buddy that was serving alongside you that had family out there, but it amazes me the amount of interpreters that we used that they just went, oh, well, you know, sorry. It was absolutely heartbreaking. I think, the, I mean, granted, I'm just a nobody from the Air Force Academy and, and from the Army National Guard. But at the end of the day, the team that we were able to assemble remotely, we ended up getting out 38 people and their kids. Oh, and you. it was it's such an amazing feeling. I mean, we didn't sleep for two weeks because we were staying awake all day because the time zone's opposite in Afghanistan, right? Just talking to these people. Um, but what shut operations down was we had our last, uh, the PJs that we had worked with. They were the last team out to go out and grab these people near Abbey Gate. And if anyone knows what happened at Abbey Gate, so they go out and they grab the last, I think, six people and their kids. And they were bringing them back. And 40 minutes later, that's when Abbey Gate blew and killed those Marines. Yeah. And, uh, they got shell shocked after that. They were just like, man, if we if we had waited on that wall, waiting for our guy to wave that sign or that give that signal, that could have been us. And we have, I I know I have some of the last pictures of that view because they would be taking pictures of, hey, this is where I'm standing at the wall, and then we'd be sending that to the guys on the ground and try to get them to communicate yeah. towards each other. And uh, we have some of the last pictures of those Marines when they were alive. Um, and it's it's really hard to look at them even back now because. You know, we made a little bit of a difference. We were able to get them on a plane and we got them to Qatar. And now some of them are here in the United States. Some of them are still trapped overseas in random uh, refugee camps. Um, about Europe. That was, that was pretty tough. Yeah, that was pretty tough because it's mad. A, bunch of, a bunch of nobodies yeah. uh, from the, you know, got more people out than our, our own government was able to organize. That's because, that's because Adam, the, the government didn't give a shit. Um, down, even down to the British government, they didn't give a shit either. It's like we were there for 21 years and then there was no plan in place to get everything out, including interpreters, family members, 
etc etc it was literally oh by the way we're leaving now even down to little strategy things like we we sent our paratroopers in you know what fucking our paras are fucking top notch but we have a specifically designed corps to deal with airbase defense and that was my regiment that i served in that's our job and they didn't send them yeah, it makes absolutely no sense. We have some of the best knowledge for equipment capabilities in the world, and it was like randomly put together. You send 10th Mountain in and yeah. hope for the best. Um, and then, you know, we're working directly with the ISIS guys. On, we're working directly with the uh, – sorry, not ISIS, but the Taliban guys on the ground to provide security to the airport. And they're just waiting for us to leave. And, they're you know, ISIS is kind of like the general problem or ISIS-K out there. But – the fact that we were even working with the Taliban and there was shots being fired and guys were getting shot. No one's, no one's talking about this. Right. And even, even those Marines now still have not, at least from my recollection, have not even gotten their combat action ribbons from Afghanistan yet, because they don't want to admit that there was a, an armed conflict right there at the end during the evacuation. Yeah. And that's, that's insanity to me. Um, that, that goes down from fucking Mr. Top dog, Mr. Person who can't even string a sentence together. And his and his generals below him, they're fucking useless. Well, I think, and here's the funny thing: is like no one's talking about Afghanistan right now, and what happened to all those refugees. And it's insane because um, a lot of them got flown into Qatar or the UAE or Kuwait, and they just left them there. Yeah, and some of them got taken back to the United States, but in general. They're still, and it looks like, I mean, this is probably the wrong word, but they look like just concentration camps of Afghans and army tents sitting out in the middle of the desert next to a runway, right? And they haven't been able to house these people or provide good health care or sanitation or food or water. And the United States is like trying the best that they can, but they're in these they're in these conflicts because of the status of forces agreement with these countries about, you know, what we're going to do with these people because they're basically, okay, well, now they're just displaced people with no passports from, and they can't get into any country because – we, we pulled them out of Afghanistan, put them on a cargo plane, threw them on a runway, and now they're on this U.S. Air Force base in the middle of nowhere, and they can't go anywhere because they don't have any passport or citizenship and no verification of who they are or, or oh, what it is. Like, it's insanity. But they got there with the clothes on their backs as well. As yeah, they, and – well, I mean the problem is some of these people were dying, and, and no one was talking about this. So you put – I mean you know how it is over there. You put somebody in a tent with no HVAC or air conditioning out there in a tent, and it's 180 degrees in that tent. And you can't provide water and food. I mean, there, and this is probably going to come out later when they talk about the the fall of Afghanistan, but just because they got out of Afghanistan doesn't mean they survived. There was hundreds of people who died I, I when they hope, got out. I do hope that they do some sort of panorama documentary or something on, on that, because I can guarantee like a lot of things that have happened in the different war zones and conflicts that we've been to it will get swept under the carpet for example for example case in point iraq why the fuck did we go there <laughs> do you know what i mean fucking bush and blair need to be put on the fucking war criminals list no i i, I agree with that and that's uh i guess i'm an older guy right so i was around and all that started i was i was young but i was still old enough to understand what was going on and I can tell you that that served me very well working in intelligence because knowing the background, the history, I mean, it's almost like, 
everyone in the U.S. military, especially the new the new breed of people coming in, uh, they're like 10 second toms. They don't even they weren't even born when 9-11 happened. This is the post 9-11 generation. Right. So they don't understand how this started or why it started or why we sent guys over there. And some of those guys are getting out of the military now. Some of them died. Um, you know, a lot of these older vets, but old, mate. yeah, they, they don't understand that. Like, you know, it's almost like, all right, well, we forgot about that stuff. Let's just, let's just move on. And I said, what's critical to understanding about, you know, our future success, whether it's in the middle East or, or elsewhere in the world is understanding our past and not making the same mistakes. Right. And, and Iraq, and even Andy Stump talks about this. I mean, <laughs> I can't go back and look j- justly at saying we had any actual reason to invade Iraq and kill over 2 million civilians over the course of several years. Well, uh, there was weapons of mass destruction. Do you not know that? Yeah. I mean, and, that, and the fact that they allowed Colin Powell on there with bad intelligence showing a water truck on a tanker, um, you know, it's just uh, – absolutely blows my mind absolutely blows my mind yeah it's crazy when you think about it that we put these people in power that basically win a popularity contest and then they make the decisions and they send as it were when i served and and yourself now young men and women off to off to war on on strict orders from the government and then it's not until you you i find i was until my my final deployment very blinkered like i was like we're here for a reason this is the reason why we're here it's not until you leave or you're about to leave and the blinkers come off and you're like why the fuck was i there you know, it's it's kind of the classic. Uh, the reason they recruit young people is because you're willing to believe anything that you're told, right? I, I you go. Right. I think you're right, and I, I we sort of mentioned it on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. The fact that when you get to basic training and they break you down, they shave your head, they break you down, build you up into the mold that they want you to be, is so that you do follow orders, and you're following orders from people who you look up to, you admire. And you expect them to make the correct decisions for you until you then get promoted into that position. That goes back to what you were saying. If you're not getting the right caliber of officer, NCO, in the ranks, then what the fuck is going to happen, especially in this current climate of wokeness? Exactly. And it's kind of because I I look back and look at my own mistakes. I mean, when I joined the military when I was 18 years old in 2006, it was only, you know, five years after 9-11, I was ready to go over and get some and kill everything in my path. Right. But then you look back and uh, especially after I got there and you realize these are just people fighting for their lives to survive. And don't get me wrong. There's bad dudes over there. There's there's some bad ISIS dudes, but. I got to hand it to them. I mean, these are the grandchildren of the guys that we originally killed over there, you know, 10 something years ago. You know, we killed their grandfathers. We killed their dads. And now it's their sons. And, you know, if that happened in my country, I'd be pretty pissed off too at whatever country was doing that. And I'd, I'd scramble together every piece of ammo uh, that I had and would probably fight back against that uh, so-called oppressing force as well. And when you see it in person, it's different, right? It's one thing. Googling things. It's another thing with competing things and hearing things on the news. It's another thing when you're seeing what these people are doing within their home 
country constantly. And it, it definitely changed my perspective on a lot of things when I was overseas. Definitely, definitely. And I can guarantee as well, if it was the, the tables around the other, other way and someone was invading your country to, you know, normalize it, colonize it, whatever you want to say, colonized you, just saying. Um, <laughs> and uh, like I said, we fought, we fought against that too, it, right? And it, it's the same and, thing. And that's a, that's a good case of point. You go to somebody else's backyard and you fight in their country, nine times out of 10, you ain't really going to come away all smelling the roses because they know the terrain better than what you do. As I mean, the only reason that the Americans were successful in the revolution is because we pretty much utilized Indian tactics and guerrilla warfare against a formal British army. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's it. And we got excess and we got extra funding and weapons from the French, which is basically what ISIS does now is they get extra funding and, and weapons from Iran. Right. You know, a bigger, you know, uh, opposing country in the area. And, and then they use that to, to fight the United States and the UK. Right. So they, they didn't throw away our tea, though. So it's true. Yeah, they love their tea in the Middle East, though. But uh, rude. A day. This, not to interrupt. <laughs> I don't know if you have to edit this out, but it says five minutes left in the top corner. Do we yeah, have to yeah, restart? Yeah. So okay. basically, I usually call it uh, about a minute, and then, then I'll restart email, and then yeah. I splice them together with my incredible editing skills. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to cut the last like thirty seconds out, but that's. By cool. the way, it's just it's awesome that you notice that because every other guest. Has never said. By the way, your timer says five minutes. Usually, they carry on talking, and then it just cuts out. Just cuts out. And I, have to no, send it, I have to send a message and go. By the way, I'm sending you a new a new link. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So I guess we we can kind of start about how this whole deployment happened. So, so I, I belong to group 19 Special Forces group, and I'm a rigger. So I think the biggest problem for me is even though I work with some of the best men and women in the United States Army. Uh, because of my MOS, I require an air conditioned airfield and a, and a clean packing facility to do my job. And in the middle East, you're not getting many, uh, parachute drops anymore. They, they do cargo. Most of it's packed by, uh, TCNs or third country nationals and dropped out of cargo planes. Right. So there's no real mission for me as a rigger overseas. So that's why I've, even though I've volunteered for every single deployment with 19 special forces group from Afghanistan to wherever else they've been assigned, uh, I just never got picked. Right. And my number never got called. So, I had an opportunity to go outside of my unit, uh, the 3157 Field Artillery Regiment, which is HIMARS, or High Mobility Rockets. Um, we're looking for volunteers to come on a deployment to fill whatever jobs they needed. So I kind of looked at my time clock. I'm like, well, I'm 33 at the time, and I'm, I'm kind of getting old, and I'm not going to be able to do this stuff for much longer, and this still counts as a global war on terror. So you know, I'd like to get a CENTCOM deployment in before, you know, and so I volunteered over there as a truck driver, as an 88 Mike, as we say in the army. And uh, I got assigned to their support company. So their 188th forward support company is the support unit for the 3157 field artillery. So um, it was definitely an eye-opening experience because I come from an unconventional warfare mentality side and then going to a very conventional field artillery unit uh, is completely different ball game. You know, they dress differently. They wear different uniforms. Uh, they act differently. So, you know, I had to, uh, uh, some of the special operations guys that I uh, deployed with the 3157, we kind of had to uh, shut our mouths, stay quiet, you know, just kind of let the conventional guys have their things because they absolutely hated us at first. They're like, oh, here come these, 
here come these group support guys thinking they're airborne and better than everybody else. I mean, you know, we, we won't, we won't say that to their face, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> everybody who's got wings thinks they're better than everyone else. I, it's fine. Like we have, we showed up in our maroon, our maroon berets and they're like immediately take that shit off and you're not airborne when you're with this unit and you know, whatever, <laughs> cause we're just assholes. So, um, but it was great. So I went over with a couple of mechanics uh, and a couple other specialists, uh, radio guys. So we brought some of our radio guys over there because uh, they're amazing. I mean, they're like wizards when it comes to to radios. And that was definitely something. And we'll talk about that later. But it was definitely something that was definitely needed. Yeah, so definitely a skill that is sort of overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most most of the time, I was a comms guy. I used to get called. I used to get told that I was a geek. And I'm like, yeah, but without me, you ain't getting shit. So nothing wrong with combo nerds, uh, because they are, they can make the difference between life and death sometimes. And I don't think people really undervalue, uh, combo dudes. Um, but so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. So we get, uh, we get assigned to this unit. We, we report to Pueblo, Colorado, which is like three hours South of me to their unit. And it's, uh, at first, and they're probably going to hate me for saying it. it was like the land of misfit toys, man. You show up and there's just like shit everywhere and <laughs> nobody, nobody knows left or right. And it's like a completely different mentality from uh, the special, for, from the special forces company. Right. So we just kind of try to play it cool, try to learn everybody's names, try to get to know some of the NCOs and uh, man, there's just a lot of internal bickering at first, you know, like, and a lot of down trace elements. So in, in group, no one really cares about your rank. We treat each other with respect. You know, even though I'm only an E4 because of my, you know, uh, the promotability. You know, I had E5s, E6s who were 21 years old trying to tell, you know, me what to do. Hey, you better respect who I am because I'm a, you know, staff sergeant or whatever. And I just go, yeah, man, I'm like 10, 15 years older than you. And I've been in the Army for like over, you know, a lot longer than you have. So in group, it's like a different mentality. In group, they respect your experience and your knowledge. And they don't really care about your rank. And the conventional side, they very much care about rank and they don't care how old you are, what your experience is. You could be a brand new E5 sergeant, three years, uh, and you could have this guy who's a Google engineer, which we had. We had a Google engineer who was an E4 who makes $250,000 a year, who is in charge of all their – oh, you want to you do a – I'll do a thing. Yep, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, we'll be like, it. Yep. Uh, what were we talking about? Hold that thought. Holding it. Uh, do, 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 do. You turn your mic on. You turn there it on. There we go. Welcome back. Um, all right. So I guess yeah. To continue where I was. Um, so like I said, the, the difference in group is that we have a lot of guys who are experienced, have master's degrees, PhDs, who are lower ranking because. They volunteer to come into the military to help. They don't do it for their job. Uh, even myself, I, you know, I was an engineer in the oil and gas industry. I work in environmental operations. I have a master's degree, even though I'm only an E4 in the army, right? So, you know, you come into this conventional unit where you, know, you have people who don't even have degrees or they don't even have like a real job outside of the Army National Guard. They work at like Starbucks or something as baristas, and they're screaming and yelling at you and just treat you like crap because of your rank. So. You had, to, you had to really swallow your pride to get used to that. So I actually found this amazing NCO as a Sergeant First Class, uh, Mike Grimes. And he, uh, old school guy, uh, ironically, his wife was a barber at the Air Force Academy and knew about me. So he kind of took me under his wing and goes, hey, man, I know you're in a shit situation, but I know you're trying to get you know the most out of this deployment. So I'm going to help 
help you get to where you want to be on this deployment, you know, so if anyone gives you, you know, shit, come talk to me. I said, okay, fine. And uh, he's like, you know, Dorito, like, we're not, you're not really going to be driving too many trucks. We have a lot of truck drivers and mechanics already. So you're, you're going to go like kind of be my right hand guy and headquarters supply for now. I said, okay, well, I mean, as a rigger, we count parachutes. So I'm sure I can count boxes of inventory. Right. So really, really boring, un- uninteresting job, but uh, he let me be in charge of a weapons qualification, you know, which is something that we take pretty seriously in the special operations environment. So we got to qualify people on the heavy machine guns, medium machine guns, light machine guns, rifle, take all the companies out there, all the batteries and get them qualified and get them shooting. So uh, that was the good first impression I made with the battalion commander and the company commanders out there was they saw this random dude from group uh, out there helping everyone uh, with all my fellow group guys. So we were all out there, you know, just helping everyone understand the mechanics and the operations of these weapon systems. And uh, plus, I love shooting the Mark 19 grenade launcher. That's probably the coolest fucking weapon system. Um, uh, yeah, so much fun. So we get everybody qualified down at Fort Bliss in Texas. We go through our qualification rounds for deployment. So we were down there. Uh, pretty much from from Fort Carson and Fort Bliss. So we were at Fort Carson for a couple of weeks. Then we moved in Colorado. Then we moved to Fort Bliss down in Texas on the border of Mexico. And uh, we finished our qualification rounds down there. And we were in country in the beginning of January of 2022. So we landed in Kuwait. That was our main that was our main flag base down there. And then we dispersed out to various countries and places. I'll leave it at that uh, yep. from there. So so they moved some of our HIMARS units out to select areas within the Middle East to ensure that we could provide uh, quick reaction QRF to special operations guys on the ground, uh, mostly 75th Rangers, 160th SOAR, uh, Special Forces ODAs, and uh, support the also the conventional infantry guys with the Bradleys that were on the ground as well. So pretty much if the Air Force couldn't conduct an airstrike or a drone strike in response to any operations, uh, HIMARS are all weather and they don't care about the airspace, right? So HIMARS... Uh, definitely have the ability to reach out and touch somebody uh, without giving away ranges, obviously for those missile systems because of the whole Ukraine situation, but um, very capable platform. And it was, it was great because I got to work with a lot of the artillery guys uh, in Kuwait, you know, because they have a base of them there as well. So just learning their weapon system, learning what they do, learning, you know, uh, acting like you're interested in, because if you care about them, then they care about you and you, you know, you want to develop those relationships. And that's something I really try to emphasize with people is, you know, don't think you're all high and mighty and that you, you're better than everyone else. At the end of the day, you know, you're going to stick to this nine-month deployment together, you know, a year total with all the pre-mob stuff. And it's you're going to be relying on each other when, when shit goes down, right? So uh, the forward support company, immediately we started training to do the resupply mission. So basically uh, how they would do that is they would, you know, maneuver to different bases within the Middle East. You know, they drop off the loads. They meet up with the C-130s or C-17s, load everything on. They would fly to another base. Uh, drop that equipment, shoot, load them back on the airplanes, turn around and fly back, right? So it's it's kind of fun seeing what HIMARS can do. They have that quick ability to fly anywhere, land anywhere, shoot anything uh, before ISIS even knows what's going on. Uh, so the two main operations that we had going on overseas was Operation Inherent Resolve, which is uh, counter-ISIS operations uh, up north. And then we had Operation um, – oh, man, it's, I just blanked on it. <laughs> oh man, Operation Hair Resolve and Operation Spartan Shield. So I'm sorry, Spartan Shield is uh, the anti-Iranian uh, defense system in order to oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, re- reduce Iranian influence in the region, right? And Iran is a huge problem. Everyone thinks Russia and China are a problem, and even though they are, uh, I will tell anyone Iran is definitely a major issue 
uh, overseas and trying to gain influence and control uh, places like the Strait of Hormuz, which controls all the oil in the world, and the the uh, Suez Canal, which controls all commerce uh, yeah. through you know the area in Egypt, right? So um, it is vital for U.S. and allied forces to keep those two areas open and free from Iranian influence because you shut down any of those canals or those waterways, uh, you're talking about global meltdown within hours. Right, you shut down the energy and the uh, and the and the supply access. So, pretty important mission. It's kind of overlooked. It's been going on for years, even before nine uh, eleven happened. With the U.S. and allied forces uh, have been on those two missions for quite a while. You know, with the counter ISIS operation really starting up in 2013, 2015. Uh, it's been going on ever since. Right. So, um, really awesome being a part of that unit. And uh, you know, I have a little bit of mechanical experience with the oil field. So I would go out and help the mechanics rip apart trucks and replace things and fix things. You know, I'd go out and drive in convoys, uh, you know, going to and from different bases and training exercises out there. So just doing my part, even though it's not my job, like I'm a, I'm a parachute rigger, you know, you just, you know, make yourself uh, available and always be adapt to, you to adapt yeah, to what be, unit you're attached to. So you have to, you know, you, you, the one thing I told the young guys, you would get really frustrated, like, oh, this isn't my job and fuck this. I'm like, hey, man, be an asset, not a liability. Because if you come hey, off as a asset and also think of the experience that you're gaining. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, you, you go in there with a bad attitude, and then no one's going to respect you and you're going to have a bad deployment. But if you go in there, always want to learn and always willing to embrace the stuck with everybody else. And people are going to teach you new things and take you under their wing. Right. So. Uh, I got to give it to uh, Captain Glenn and uh, First Sergeant Bussey in the 188th. They, you know, they first were re- kind of hesitant towards me. Uh, I have a reputation, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to actually ask, how, how does the reputation that you have at the minute? So it, uh, uh, you know, it sucked. With it everybody. sucks. They're probably I, a bit standoffish at, at the first, surely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um. It took a couple of years in special forces for guys to understand my situation and respect me. And this is like starting all over again. Right. So immediately. Yeah. You know, these it, guys, must, it, must, it must be like, well, this guy's some sort of snitch. Yep. Either that, or you know, they believe the air force Academy narrative. And, you know, they were like, Oh, this guy's a pedophile because that's what the air force Academy says about him. Uh, even though like none of that's true. I have a <laughs> security wow. clearance and yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it was bad because I mean, what people look up on Google or bad comments about me on YouTube, you know, or different interviews I've done with you know people who are against my case. Sure, uh, you could pick out the onesies and twosies, but that's that's not what really happened. Because if that happened, one, I'd be in jail. Oh. You know, I, I wouldn't have a security clearance, and I wouldn't be working with special forces, right? So, exactly. um, yeah. But you know, even though you tell people that, they're like, "Well, that's not what the internet says." I'm like, "Well, I can't help it if you're stupid, you know," and you just have to ignore it. And you got to ignore the bad comments. And I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with that too, Tama, where people come out and oppose you and, and this guy's full of shit or whatever else. You just got to, you just yeah. got to let it go and move on. Even, even down to like, I'll, I'll bring it up. I, I didn't know him personally, but a, a sergeant from my regiment is uh, unfortunately taken his own life uh, recently um, due to having PTSD issues. And I sort of made a tongue and cheek comment to some of the, some of my friends in a in a whatsapp group i was like but i didn't think our regiment could get ptsd because the amount of hate that i had when i came out with my mental health issues i was like people telling me how how dare you say that you have this you didn't serve enough time you didn't do this you didn't do that i'm like well fucking hell do you know what i mean and yeah it's it's sad that the real pandemic as i call it 
in terms of mental health issues and, and suicides, especially in, in the military, not only over here in the UK, but over there in America, is that that's the real pandemic. You know, mm -hmm. more needs to be done still. No, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to experience direct combat to develop PTSD either, you know. Um, exactly. You know, I'm not saying I developed any of those symptoms overseas, but I will tell you that I was, you know, even even now I'm still on edge about a lot of things. Uh, it was kind of funny. So uh, a quick side. note. So I, I decided and we'll get into reason why later. I decided to become a part time substitute teacher uh, when I came back and start giving back. You'd say in the, in the message, you're like, yeah. I'm, I'm teaching. I was like, what the fuck yeah. So I'm actually, I, I subbed yesterday. Uh, it was great. Uh, I love it. I really do. It's uh, I don't do it for the money. I do it because I really love hanging out with the kids and influencing the next generation. And if I can contribute that to any little bit, I can, I, I just do it on my days off. I just do it for fun. And uh, you know, but one of those things I, I was in the school yesterday and this loud, long beep tone went off, which is the same exact tone we had for a drone strike. Yeah. When I was overseas, so I just like you know, I just tweaked. I'm like, even though I know nothing's going to happen, right? And even though where I mostly was in the Middle East, like we, very low threat, most of it was all you know fake. It was all you know whatever. But it's you know you still hear those things, and it's just it still makes you snap yeah. and go, okay, wait, you know whatever. So, um, but yeah, so it was really hard to overcome that perception from the air force Academy. So I know I had to work even harder than anyone else to change that, to change that perspective. Yeah. Right. And I did, um, you know, I people, and we'll talk about this too, because this is, this is a good conversation we're going to have. Uh, but oh, people have always called me bigger and like a big fat guy. Uh, even though I'm built like an Oak barrel and I played rugby all through college, I've always been a bigger guy. That's just, that's just who I am. And uh, you know, a lot of people are trying to make fun of me because of my weight, uh, saying I was this giant fat guy, you know, from special forces, who do you, I think I am? And, uh, you know, we went out and did the new army, uh, fitness test. And I scored a 579 out of 600 and destroyed everyone in the entire battalion, except like one or two people, <laughs> you know? So once again, like you have, to, you have to just take the criticisms. And at the end of the day, you have to just go out and improve yourself every day and, and fight for that every day. Uh, even in a deployed environment, right. You, you have to fight for that perspective. Um, you know, even in the Middle East, I was working out three times a day. It's just, it's just my body type, man. I just, I look like a big giant, you know, prop. I'm, that's, that's just who I am, you know, but uh, I was at the end of the deployment, I was deadlifting 550 pounds, benching 380, you know, 385 and, you know, running a 17 minute, two mile at 275 pounds, uh, which is pretty good. Most guys, my size yep. can't run at all. Well, um, I pretty much suck ass at running. I even sent a message yeah. to a buddy of mine. So I'm training currently training to get ready for uh, a football match soccer match uh coming up in july and i went for a little jog just around my uh the estate that i look after for, for security and i was i literally sent him a message i went I'm, I'm off out for a run it may be more walking than running but i'm off out you know what but you're making that step and that's all oh, that yeah, matters right yeah. it doesn't I, matter I, I mentioned it the, the other day like i'm one of those guys that kind of needs a goal. I can't just create a goal to say, well, I'm going to the gym today. Unless I've got a boxing match or a football match or something. Otherwise, I'm sitting eating cake all day. So I'm, I've got an inner fat guy that wants to come out. Like, yeah, I've always been, I've always been similar to you. Um, pretty much when I left uh, high school and went to college and started going to the gym, that's when I sort of became a bit more heavy set and mm -hmm. broad so i've always been sort of stocky and built but you know 
since since the lockdowns, lockdowns have been good to me. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny because even uh, you know, overseas, I like, can't drink overseas, can't do anything. All I get to do is work out, and uh, you know, that's like I said, I, I proved that it was my body type, even despite eating super clean and working out three times a day. Like I was actually gaining weight cause I was gaining more muscle when I was overseas lifting that much. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, right. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about you making those make, as long as you're meeting those standards, meeting those physical fitness standards and you're kicking oh. ass, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't care what anyone else thinks you, you can't take things personally. Right. I think that's, that's one thing I learned on deployment too, is, uh, you really just can't take things personally as much as I wanted to defend myself and start podcasting when I was overseas about, all the bullshit. You just got to sit there and meditate and stay focused on the task at hand. And uh, it definitely, it definitely proved its worth uh, over time. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so, you know, so what, once again, having that positive attitude, getting that really good PT score, you know, just proving everybody wrong kind of thing in this unit. And uh, I was approached by uh, this random NCO you know, at Fort Bliss. And he reconnected with me when we got overseas. His name was uh, Sergeant Eric Immer and he was the Intel guy. And, you know, he was like, oh, I've kind of heard about your story. You know, I'd like to hear it from your perspective because everyone thinks you're just some creepy weird dude. Uh, so, <laughs> so I told him the story and then he's like, "You, got, I got to tell my Lieutenant about this. So he brings over this uh, old guy, uh, first Lieutenant Seth Kraft. Uh, so he's a little bit older guy, first Lieutenant, but you're um, still younger than me. They're still on their later twenties, but he was a, uh, an satellite engineer, you know, working for defense contracting on the side. So super smart guy and, you know, has, his, has his life all figured out. And uh, I tell him my story too. And he's like, wait, you're an E4 and you have a master's degree and you're a, you're a, what are you truck mechanic over here? He's like, you're being like way underutilized, man. He's like, I didn't know you worked in oil and gas. He's like, you know, we could probably use your perspective on the Intel side. So I got invited to start working with them a couple of days a week. And man, when I walked to that, that talk, that tactical operations center where the battalion commander is and the XO, like all the big wigs of the unit, right? Yeah, that's, where yeah. all the, that's where all the firing decisions are being made. And that's where all the actual work's being done. Man, was that room like quiet when I was there. Like, oh, who is this fucking Dorito guy? All we do is hear stories about him and, you know, <laughs> fuck, you know fuck this guy and everything he stands <laughs> about and this Air Force Academy bullshit. You know, he's a 34-year-old specialist. Obviously, he's a shitbag, right? So, um. Once again, had to, had to prove him wrong. So I started working with Sergeant Immer. He kind of showed me the ropes. Hey, this is how we collect intel. These are the systems we use. This is how we gather things on satellites. These are the drones we utilize with the Air Force. And then, bam, it clicked. I'm like, hey, I know Air Force Special Operations guys deployed right now. So I literally would call them up, and I developed that relationship with the Air Force Academy grads who were like my freshmen when I was there, right, who are their captains and first lieutenants flying in country now. So I developed a relationship with them. And then – uh then I developed a relationship with the Space Force guys, and we were able to utilize satellite imagery and gather intelligence. That's a that's a crazy name. Space it is. Force. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because uh, as a National Guard unit, we were not expected to do anything basically except report on the weather and anything that would immediately affect HIMARS. But some of the relationships I was able to develop with my fellow Air Force Academy grads in CENTCOM gave us an open wide view to gathering new intelligence and different ways that had never been done before. So we were able to provide a theater perspective that had never been done with high Mars before in CENTCOM and utilizing other adjacent units, uh, civil affairs, 
which is another special operations unit in the army, uh, working with counterintelligence, working with FBI agents on ground. And this is something like, well, where did this guy come from? Then we started doing uh, analysis on oil and gas production and where they're moving rigs and where production pipelines were moving. And that is a huge indicator of enemy movement and a huge indicator of financial funding, right? And no one even paid attention to this because no one really understands oil and gas in the Middle East, in the army. They just want to blow things up. Well, at the end of the day, you you win more friends by learning about their infrastructure, you know, food, water, and, and energy yeah. than you do by blowing them up, right? So it's crazy uh, when you think about it. Obviously, you move after everything that happened, you moved into oil and gas, but just listening to what you were saying there, all the different avenues that you've gone down and 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 all the different connections you've made, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can you imagine how far you would have gone? if they didn't fuck you over in the first place. I thought about that quite often when I was there. And uh, it was kind of, it was kind of funny because uh, a lot of the company commanders from the batteries who are captains, they'd come up to me and be like, man, you should be a major right now. Like you should like, yeah, tell me about it. Um, You know, but, but at the end of the day, I earned a lot of respect from these gentlemen and women who I worked with as as company commanders and battery commanders in the in the unit, I eventually even earned the respect of the command sergeant major, so uh, command sergeant major Manzanares, uh, especially from the battalion commander lieutenant colonel Lysi, and from his XO uh, major Tannehill, right? And they were some of the, I mean, you feared these people in the talk, but at the end of the day, and working with Sergeant Immer and, and Lieutenant Kraft, when we were providing this intelligence and we were briefing these commanders every day, and our intelligence was good and it was spot on and it was intricate. And we made all these connections with these units. They said, you guys want a three-man shop that we just expected to give to weather to you're providing certain data perspectives that we'd never have had before. And we were providing real tactical combat uh, intelligence to our guys on the ground up north. And, yeah. and and it was great. It was it was really great to see that. I And I'm not even like an actual intelligence guy. Like I didn't go to school to be a 35 Fox, which is an all-source all analyst. But – I started working with the 35 Foxes. I went to other units. I started training with them on their systems. I worked with guys in the NSA, uh, you know, learning data from them. And then we had the opportunity to go to Jordan and work with our brigade commanders out there and start training their intelligence analysts. And we just provided value. So I went from being this uh, so-called weirdo E4 from the Air Force Academy driving trucks to the repeater pod as well. Don't forget that. Yeah, exactly. To um, one of the premier intelligence analysts for HIMARS in CENTCOM, if yeah. not the only one s- with Sergeant Emmer. So that was great. Generally, case in point on how to develop skills and progress in whatever field you're doing is to be, be like a child and be a sponge. Exactly. I, that's the best way to put it, man. Environment, soak in who you're working with. Take all the good bits from each person that you're working with. Obviously, everybody's got bad points, but you want to fuck that, that bit off. Everybody's got good points. Take all that and, and develop yourself into fucking case in point. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I had to humble myself at some times and just listen more than talk. And, you know, once you develop those relationships, you know, you can go ahead and do something. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I definitely piss some people off overseas because... Um, people requesting us to give briefings, people requesting our section go out and give the intelligence and provide that data. And 
and all the other intelligence units are like, well, who the fuck is this guy? He's not even an intelligence guy on paper, you know? And some of the commanders were like, hey, man, just Specialist Dorito and, and Sergeant Emmer and Lieutenant Kraft, they have the data that we need, and, and, and they're given better information. So we want to hear from them and not you guys. Um, and that it definitely made one of the other intelligence units mad. We were training these younger guys. So these guys are 22 years old, fresh out of intelligence school. And we were trying to train them on our process you know, how we collect intelligence and how we develop our briefings. You know, we're glorified PowerPoint rangers with four computer screens and drone porn all day, right? But at the end of the day, we were showing them our process and how we are efficient in developing these products. And, uh, you know, one kid was like, I want to go look back at this drone feed. I'm going to call this, I'm going to call this red line number and tell them that we want to go back and look at this. And I had to like stand up and go, hey, uh, Sergeant, whatever your name is, I highly recommend you don't go talk to a special operations uh, red line about a drone because you're a national guard unit and artillery. And no one gives a fuck about you. So why don't you sit down and learn more about your job and shut up. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, uh, and then he got super fucking pissed at me and turned around. Who the fuck is this E4 telling an E5 what to do? And I'm like, Hey man, I know I'm like 15 years older than you, but I'm just trying to help you. Like, I'm just trying to make sure you don't get shit on by some Lieutenant Colonel, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, so yeah, I got I got my dick smacked for that for, you know, what it was the, the exact word said to me by some other sergeant major was uh he looked at me, he's like, you know all that all that chest candy you got in your uniform? And I looked down, I'm like, dude, this is just rigor wings and airborne wings. Like this is not chest candy. I'm not Halo qualified, I'm not like special operations tabbed or anything. I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like obviously this guy's never been to any school whatsoever. And yeah. you just had to sit there and go, yeah, yes, sir, Major, Roger that. You know, just, you know, not, don't even fight him. You know, just, yes, sir, no, sir, just fucking walk away. Because it's it's not even worth getting into fights with some of these people, like the good old boy system, right? Yeah. Chess candy. I think uh, I remember reading through, um, well, not completely off topic, off topic now in, on a tangent. I remember reading through um, Jarhead by Anthony Swarford. And a lot of people go, yeah, it's an all right movie, but but seriously, read the book. The book, I know, I know. Joe Rogan has said nobody wants to read the book really if they've made a movie, but the book goes into more detail into his actual career within the uh, Marines and the fact that he went and did uh, Ranger School and he went and did Airborne Jumps and things like that, and he went back to unit because obviously the Marines they don't wear tabs or anything like that. They're correct, but he came back with Airborne Wings. And a Rangers tab, I believe, and they were like, "What the fuck is that?" He's like, "Well, I, I passed it." But Swarford was very much like that. He didn't really give a shit. Like he joined up because obviously his old man wanted him to join up, and he didn't think there was anything else to do. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, like you say, for me, that, that's part of my job qualification, right? I have two sets of wings because that's what's required for me to be a rigger in special operations, right? What? But you go to any conventional unit artillery guy, they don't have any of that stuff. So it's yeah, yeah. like so super pissed at you. We, we have similar things. Obviously, we have our wings, our halo wings, if you're SF. Um, and then it goes down to what badges you get qualified on. You can get machine gunner, mortars, um, et cetera, et cetera. And you get like a, you get like a badge. Mm-hmm. And you can sew it on. You can sew it on. And there's one that you can wear on the opposite wrist that nobody else can wear it on the opposite wrist because of whatever fucking Queen's regulations or King's regulations, should I say. And that is uh, signals. So if you get your signals qualification, you can wear it on the... I mean, it's the cross flags. I've actually got mine off. I'll show you. I've got mine in here somewhere. Give me two seconds. 
Absolutely. Uh, uh. Oh, lost a puppy. And I remember putting them on once because usually the signalers don't put them on because, let's face it, nobody gives a shit about fucking comms. But there's our, there's our badge. There you go. Yes, I'm a fucking comms geek. I don't give a truth. That's actually staying out. That's staying out with the rest. But yeah, I remember. I remember when I put them on because I was the first one on on the squadron to wear them. I was like, well, I'm fucking wearing it. Like, what? Yeah. Nobody wears it. I was like, you're allowed to wear your fucking machine gunner's badge. Why can't I wear my fucking comms badge? You ain't you ain't doing shit if I'm not deploying with you. Oh, exactly. Actually, so I mean that that's kind of a good segue because. Uh... The guys were supporting up north. One of them from 19 Special Force Group. He was a combo guy, and he got sent up there with the uh, with the replacing artillery HIMARS crew, and <laughs> he was struck up there, set up comms, set up the radios, set up all their their encrypted stuff. And uh, one of our friendly uh, foreign forces that were supporting up there got shot uh, by ISIS, and he actually was helping plug the wound and you know helping bring the guy back into the camp and and help save his life. And I know there's talk about them trying to put him up for a bronze star for that, you know, but he's a combo guy. He's just a random combo guy, but because of his training, because he worked with SF for so many years, you know, he just was able to dial in that mentality and just start sticking fingers in holes and putting tourniquets on. Right. So. Because when I I remember going through the, when I first got put on the course, I was like, for fuck's sake. So I remember when we, when we first get through basic training, we go on a basic comms course. And I remember hating every second of it. I hated it. When I got to squadron, uh, when I first got to squadron, I got made to be a battlefield medic, which I thought was fucking brilliant. I love being a battlefield medic. Uh, we went and met up with the PJs and had a bit of a tour with them, and I was like, I'd love that if that was a job over here, but we don't have that equivalent, really. Um, but fast forward um, to my next tour, they were like, Tomo, you're going on you're going on a comms course. I'm like, for fuck's sake. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And I remember doing it, and I was like, I hate this. And then I got made the lead uh, comms guy for my flight or platoon. And I was like, still hate it. Then I got moved to HQ flight, part of HQ. Still hated it. But looking back now, I was, I don't know why I hated it so much, but I was good at it. Mm-hmm. It was annoying because I actually held back my career a little bit because I wanted to go off and do advanced signals as much as i hated it i wanted to go and become a forward air controller uh tac p um that's what i wanted to do but every turn because i was good at doing the the normal bowman comms is what we use they were like nah you you stay you're staying put because you're you're too important to send off to do so i was like just you're sort of stopping my career which is one of the main reasons why i wanted to leave and that and family reasons but i was like you're every every turn it was like no you can't do that can't do that we need you on this doing this it's like for fuck's sake it's one of those double-edged swords where you're good at something but it's also hindering you at the same same time pain in the ass oh, sure and that's you know it's like what we discussed before it's about being an asset not a liability right so you know yeah. you can either be the annoying guy that everybody hates or you can just Hey, I'm good at this. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep improving myself and I'm just going to keep focusing on, you know, completing the mission, you know, and 
Yeah, it will benefit you in the future. Sure. I mean, I think the only reason I even had expansion outside of my career field was because of chance. I just happened to meet Sergeant Emmer on the range that yeah, day yeah. at Fort Bliss. You know, Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. You know, when we were when we were working up with, on the counter ISIS mission up near the border uh, in Jordan, it was it was fascinating because you got to go see the border and with Israel and Jordan and how we were up there when that reporter had gotten shot. And, you know, we had to walk around in civilian clothes and things were like super, you know, super contentious up there with the Jordanian special forces guys and everything else. And uh, we got to go see Petra, which is an amazing, you know, once in a lifetime experience getting to go see that where they filmed Indiana Jones, basically. Um, but you you get to see how these people live. And, and I think that it kind of ropes back into how my perspective changed about the Middle East and the war that's going on over there. At the end of the day, all these people are fighting for is food, electricity, and water. That's it. And although there's you know, this this religious, you know, Shiites versus Sunnis versus the Kurds and, and and all these different factional tribal groups that are always fighting, at the end of the day, they're still just fighting over resources. And I think that's something that Western society really takes for granted, just because at the end of the day, Tom, well, I could turn on this computer and I got power. And I'm not worried about, you know, my neighbor coming over to my house and shooting me in the face to steal a bag of flour because the food truck didn't come in this week because ISIS took control of the food transport from the UN, right? So it's uh it's horrible watching, you know, all those kids suffer and die over there, you know, over this stuff. And I, you know, I remember there was this one mission and we were watching this guy in this drone forever. Right. And they were transporting this truck full of equipment in a certain area and they were driving someplace they shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, you know, we're watching the drone feeds, you know, cause we're on standby as field artillery. Hey, if these guys do anything stupid, we're, we're the next to go hit the green button. And all of a sudden, you know, boom, JDM hits that thing. And there was like a 10,000 foot mushroom cloud in the air. And these guys were vaporizing this armored truck. But here's the weird part was you're like, yeah, we got him. And then like the camera zooms out and they're flying around. There's this dude standing out in the middle of the desert by himself. And they, they're, they're zooming in on him and you're like, oh fuck. Like they were going to pick him up. You know, like he was kind of waiting on the street corner, waiting for this truck to come pick him up. And he just watched both his friends just disappear. He was there like, waving. Gone. Sudden, oh, where the fuck have they? Oh, damn. Well, I mean, this is, for me, this is where, and this is why I think Lieutenant Kraft and Sergeant Irma would agree with me too. Is like, we really saw the humanity of war with this because we watched these guys get blown up. Nothing's left of that truck. And this guy starts running. He starts running through the open desert, like, like that's going to help him. You know, you could just die tired. You know, we got so much ordnance up there and whatever else. And here's the weird part. He he took his gear off. He dropped his rifle, took his vest off, drops it on the ground and starts like trying to run away and walk it off. Like he's just a normal civilian. Like, you know, like we don't see him from like five miles away. And, uh, but he, he had like a, I don't know, come to Muhammad or come to Jesus moment because he turns around and he stops and he walks back to his gear. And he grabs a bottle of water, canteen, off his kit, sits there, looks up at the sky, slows down, takes a sip of water, turns around, starts walking off into the desert with his hands in the air, almost like he's like, you know, saying, take me or something like that. And he gets on his knees and he starts praying. And yeah, this is, for me, is where it kind of gets controversial because this guy dropped his arms, he gave up takes his last bit of water, praying like it's his last day on earth. And then you see him and he raises his hand in the air because he hears it coming and this hellfire hits him and he just tombstones gets cut in half and there's nothing left of him, right? And it's uh, 
you know, yeah, it was he a justified enemy combatant according to LOAC or law of armed conflict? Yeah, yeah, he was an armed guy walking through the desert and stuff. But at the end of the day, um, even he knew his mortality. You know, he he realized that that was it. And he was just praying to whatever he believed in, knowing he was going to die. And it's that's got to be a terrifying perspective, knowing that you're going to die any second now. And you don't know when it's coming and that they have all these assets and drones and fighter jets and artillery things in the air want to kill you. And, you know, like I said, if I was in that situation, if, you know, we had a country that was invading us, you know, how would I feel about that? And it's just, uh, it really brought the human perspective of war to it. And even though we were watching all this on a computer screen, right. And, you know, watching this in real time, it just, uh, it brought a different perspective to the war and that, you know, this guy was probably my age, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, he was fighting for what he believed in and he died for what he believed in as well. Yeah. And, it's a tricky one. It definitely is. I remember being in a similar situation watching a... She turned out to be a 14-year-old girl that had been turned by the Taliban to help uh, lay IEDs that had already... This same group had already taken out a, a Marine convoy. And we uh, locked in on them and smashed them to pieces with probably some a J dam or a hellfire or some or something ginormous and we watched as the local villagers came and collected the body of the 14 year old girl and carried her off and i was like she was 14 like that's my niece's age not at the time but now looking back on it but at the time i i remember sitting there watching all the us marines celebrating because they've just taken out the IED team that's taken out Marines. Fucking fair play. But I remember watching them celebrating. I'm like, she was 14, though. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say that I, I definitely felt that way as an older person deployed. So I was like 35 at the time because I you know turned 35 in October. But uh, different mentality from how I felt when I was 18. You know, it's kind of funny. You watch all the intel analysts, the young guys, guys fresh out of school, 20 in their 20s. And there's like, fuck yeah, fuck the Taliban, watching these guys get blown apart and watching, you know, these and groups of people just evaporating from drone strikes and and airstrikes and F-15s dropping JDAMs or whatever else. And everyone's like, yeah, fuck yeah, go America. And then like, but my perspective is like, there's still people. Yeah. You know, and and some of these people were young. You know, they weren't, so it's they definitely the, weren't the adults. Empathy sort of kicks in like you're, you're becoming an adult and you're like jesus christ yeah and and for me it's like did some of these guys definitely deserve to die are they isis scumbags yeah for sure yeah but but i definitely you know working with those units working on those operations and seeing it firsthand so to speak um i have a much deeper and different respect for these guys fighting us than i than i had previously from all the propaganda in the united states about you know, you know, they're just, they're not humans, they're barbarians, you know, but when has that ever been different during World War II, we called the Germans, the Huns, you know, when, when we called the Japanese, you know, all these racist terms, you know, in the United States to, to, to demonize and dehumanize the enemy. So it's easier for us to kill them. It's no different than it is now. The propaganda even goes down to, especially World War II, is changing the name of a Frankfurter to a hot dog. Because Frankfurt is German. You're like, I'm not going to call it a German name. I'm going to call it a fucking hot dog. There's no dog in it. 
but <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you're watching, I mean, you're watching even the modern leadership overseas try to influence the younger generation now. And oh, yeah. I had, I had to have to sit down and talk with some of these younger guys. I'm like, Hey man, they're human beings just like you. The only difference is you have better weapons. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it was the, you know, it's the opposite way around, man, they're going to kill you just as easily. And they're going to hip, hip, hooray, just as like you do when they die. You know, so having that mutual respect for your enemy is, I think, definitely important and understand that at the end of the day, we are all just humans. You know, we are. Um, and they're fighting for a lot more to survive over there than we are. And, you know, what? especially when Ukraine got invaded by Russia, that that changed a lot when we were overseas, because you got to see like this isn't this isn't the United States rules the skies and fuck around and find out ISIS anymore. That's not what's going on. That's that's not what's going on at all. Did you want to swap over again? You got to yeah, we'll swap over. All right. I'm sure we've got a, a little bit more to talk about. Hello, you're at the adverts, so don't turn off. Don't turn off because I've got some good stuff for you. First up, going to talk about our sponsors. Kent CBD is our first sponsor. Now, CBD oil, as you know, has tremendous benefits especially within mental health and physical health. Personally, I use it to help with my anxiety and my depression, but not only that, I also use it to help with the aches and pains of life in my joints, especially my ankles and my knees. Um, but yeah, without CBD oil, I would have still been on my antidepressant tablets, which I'm no longer on. So, you know, every cloud. And what we're gonna do here at Granite Zero is we're gonna give you 10% off everything from oil, Muscle rub, jellies, bath salts, the lot. Yeah? Make sure you get in there. www.kentcbd.org. Put in the promo code GRANITE0 and get yourself 10% off. You are welcome. But also, if you're like me and you love a nice cup of coffee. Now, for me, I only drink one coffee. And that's Green Beret coffee. Now, I don't only drink it because it's out of this world fucking coffee, roast to order, grinded to whatever specific grind you want. But not only that, it's veteran owned and veteran run, which, you know, hits me right in the feels. So make sure you check it out, Green Beret Coffee. Get yourself a nice cup of coffee. I drink it dark, just like my soul. Incredible stuff, incredible stuff. And what I'm going to give for you, I'm going to give you 10% off. So once you get to the checkout, once you've got all your coffee, your products, your apparel, whatever you need, get to the checkout and put in the promo code GZPODCAST10 and get yourself 10% off, courtesy of the Granite Zero Podcast. You are welcome. Now, that's enough of me talking about this stuff. Back to the regular scheduled show. Check it out! Hey, and we're back again. Got no sound though. Put your fucking mic on. There we go. Sorry, <laughs> you know, I'm not it when I come in there. I forget. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, so I guess continuing on with. Uh, yeah, like the humanity of war and stuff and 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 Russia invading Ukraine. I mean, that's that's when things changed for us for sure. Uh, because 
you know, one thing I, I tried to mention to a lot of the NCOs, especially on the intelligence side, this is all new for us. We have never seen this in our lifetimes in the military, right? So the last time Russia did a major invasion like that was in 2000 in Chechnya. Same yep. tactics, right? Complete obliteration. Putin just took over from Boris Yeltsin and fucked up Chechnya to the point where poisoned their water for yeah. like the next 800 years. Nothing, motherfucker. Yeah, but I mean, people don't understand. Like, you know, so I think one of the biggest jobs we had, which, man, did we get a lot of kickback for this. We People hated us in the battalion because Sergeant Immer and Lieutenant Kraft and I, we started deep diving into the history of Russia and the history of Ukraine and really going back to like the 16 and 1700s. And kind of like, well, you know, technically, yeah, Russia's kind yeah. of owned this for a long fucking time. And it wasn't really until after the Cold War where they kind of got their own independence. And then, uh, unfortunately, the Ukrainian government's kind of been stood up by the CIA and the U.S. Yeah. to act. You know, but nobody wants to talk about that shit, right? Nobody, nobody wants to talk about, talk about that. Nobody does. Nobody wants to talk about that. The only reason Ukraine has survived and existed with its puppet government is because of the United States, especially after the Orange Revolution in 2014. You know, so, but people can't even think back that far. And that's not even 10 years ago. It's like, you know, nine years ago. So we started briefing this stuff and, you know, like, hey, you know what? Um, there is a neo-Nazi group and formally in the Ukrainian army known as the Azov Battalion. Like, oh, you can't fucking say that. I'm like, these guys have Nazi flags on their actual Ukrainian flags. Like, these guys exist. Yeah. You know, and, and people did not. Like, I can't believe you're anti-Ukraine. I'm like, I'm not anti-Ukraine. I'm just anti-corruption. I'm just telling you the truth. I had a similar thing. I was I was talking to my missus about the war in Ukraine. She's like, oh, it's really sad. I went, yeah, it's really sad. But there's two sides to every story. And she's like, you can't say that. I went, well, there is, though. If you look back through the history, and if you look back at Putin, he wants the USSR back to how it was and, and yep. get back his territories that were Russian, et cetera, et cetera. He'd probably done it the wrong way, but don't get me sure. wrong. And war is fucking horrific for anybody. But, yeah, if you look back on it, and the amount of people have said, well, have you seen how you know, racist and things that Russians are. And have you seen the Ukrainians? Similar to yourself with the <laughs> fucking Nazi sympathizers, a lot of them. Um, Ukrainians are just as corrupt as the Russians are. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, they didn't really, especially when we started doing the research back in World War II, uh, there was Ukrainian brigades responsible for participating in the Holocaust and helping the Germans, but nobody wants to talk about that, right? Nobody wants to talk about the fact that you know, the Ukrainian, you know, army that was part of it that was being controlled by the Nazis, you know, it wasn't until even in the early or late mid 2000s where Ukraine finally, you know, dug up the mass graves of all the Jews that were executed in Ukrainian territory and buried in mass graves and reappropriated back to the respective countries, right? It, this is, and this is pretty recent, right? This is, yeah. and it's not to say that everybody in Ukraine's a Nazi and everyone's, you know, anti, you know, an anti-Semite. That, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I'm just saying you need to understand the historical context of what's going on because it's not good versus evil. This is this is much deeper than that in Ukraine. Yeah. Even even goes down to evacuating certain African descent people from Ukraine that were obviously teaching or whatever. They they wouldn't let them like go home or, or anything like that. It was like, no, you need, you gotta go, you gotta go where we're telling you to go. It's like, hey, hey, exactly. 
<laughs> and, and and to be fair, we're the ones who put Zelensky in power. And basically, Zelensky is their version of Donald Trump. He's a theater man. He comes yep. from the, comedian, the media comedian side, right? So you have to understand this guy is a showman. And he is his only job is to convince people to give him money and weapons and and to give up this image. Like I'm like, where you know this fantastic video edited footage of drone strikes on on tanks and and everything else. Because if you notice how the Russians are doing it, they're staying extremely quiet. Yes. Uh, the Russian military even took away cell phones from all their guys on the ground. And don't get me wrong. Uh, one thing I don't think people understand about Russian military tactics is they don't think the way the UK and the US does, where if one of our guys die, thank you for your service. Here's a flag. Here's some honors. Here's some benefits, right? It's like, now nah, we're going to keep throwing people at the fucking problem until we get what we want. They've done that all yeah. throughout their history, all through, I mean, what, 18 million Russians died in World War II? Like, they don't care about numbers, you know, and a lot of Russians have died. And they don't care. I mean, they're they're in the beginning of the war, uh, they were throwing all their old stuff and all their conscripts at it because they were just like, well, let's just, you know, let's bloody the hatchet and kind of, you know, beat down the front line of the artillery. They're not going to put their good dudes in there. And don't get it wrong. Because of the U.S. Army's training for, you know, the past decade in Ukraine, they got fucked up by javelins and they got fucked up by stinger missiles, right? I mean, they yeah. their initial their initial blitzkrieg, which they thought was going to work, didn't work out too well, right? And they've had to result to more calculated artillery infantry based warfare which we never thought i don't think in our lifetimes we would see this again because this is all we prepared for the cold war was open tank battles a10s yeah. you know conventional forces and now we're seeing it now we're seeing it and if, and if people don't think that russia has prepared for this they prepared to fight the united states for over 50 fucking years and if you don't think that they're prepared yeah. to fight in ukraine you're you're not looking at this correctly it's, and it's crazy because even, you know, even we, down to uk tactics and things like that we we were still going through my basic training which was 2008 we were still going through cold war tactics until i got to my field squadron to get ready to go to afghanistan when we then went oh we should change that to theater based so all through basic training cold war tactics yeah um you know, we always thought we were going to have the upper hand. We always thought this was going to be guerrilla type warfare in the desert for us in the future in the Middle East. And although that's still a part of our training, we need to understand this needs to be a, a reversion back to learning how to fight peer adversaries. And China, Russia, and Iran are huge fucking problems. They're they are trying to replace the the U.S. and the Middle East as the main source of influence. We saw this where you know Russian oligarchs and everything else was moving all their assets into the UAE because. They it's a pay to play scheme down there. They don't care who's doing it. It's whoever gives them the most money gets the yeah. gets the influence, right? Um, so even though we've had these allies in the Middle East and we helped Kuwait have their independence back in the first Gulf War, they're like, at the end of the day, if the Russians pay us more money, at the end of the day, like if the Russians are going to pay us more money to support or the Chinese are going to pay us more money and build our roads and build our refineries, we're going to go with them. And the United States is uh, sorely mistaken when it's not investing in these countries in terms of – we're not doing it. <laughs> I think you'll agree with me on this, and this is going to sound terrible. Um, I don't really think – and I don't think this is a secret anymore – that the U.S. government doesn't really give a fuck about these people and their freedom. Uh, we just care about controlling their assets and their sphere of influence on – things that matter to our national security, such as energy supply and, you know, food supply. That's about it. You know, we, we America doesn't care about freedom. I mean, we care about our own. Right? We, we think we, well, I mean, we, we talk about COVID too, but I mean, we, we think we care about our own freedom until you see how willing they're, uh, they're willing to lock down their own country. And, 
you know, unfortunately, and I, I regret it now, but like I, I ended up just taking at least the first round of shots because I didn't want to get kicked out of the military because I didn't want to complicate my Air Force Academy case even more. Uh, I never got any of the boosters or anything, though, because uh, there was a lot of myocarditis and guys dropping dead, you know, young, my yeah. age. And, you know, although they'll never tell the truth about what's really going on or what's you now. Hey, I don't know the answer to that. All I know is yeah, same. I I'll never go. got COVID. I got I never. <laughs> yeah, I never well. got it. To this day, my missus will will probably disagree with me. To this day, I'm still undefeated, COVID. However, I was very very ill the other the other week, but I refuse to test because I don't need to test. Why would I test something that I don't need to test for? I don't test for a cold. No, I mean it. It was hilarious because once you got overseas, like none of that shit mattered. There was yeah. no masks. And there was no. I'm like, hey, we got a, we got, a, we got combat operations. We got to do. <laughs> a mask isn't going to help you do shit. No, exactly. And yeah, similar to you, I basically got my my two jabs that I needed to get. I basically got it to keep the missus happy because she was yeah. like, but our grandparents, I need to go and visit. Blah, blah, blah. But even now, she's like, oh, we might need to get our boosters. I'm like, I can get a fucking booster. No, I mean, I, I, with all the uh, the weird medical things we've been seeing happen recently, for me, it's not worth it. It's not worth taking that risk. Um, you know, I did what I had to. Adam, even went down to the schools were starting to say, it's now time for your kids to get the COVID jabs. I'm like, well, I'm, my kids aren't getting the COVID jab. And my wife was like, really do you not think they need it i went no i don't think they need it i went my eldest i went jess has had covid twice she's fine yeah there's no there's no medical evidence to support younger people getting covid shots i mean at first i can understand the elderly thing i can understand medically compromised people sure you know uh for me i took it so i could stay in the military not get kicked out and and now even the dod is rolling all those back because they kicked out all the good dudes that was a very strange one when it was if you're serving you have to have it it's like what yeah and there was not again there wasn't even a lot of people who died in the military from covid most of us are a healthy generally a healthy population right so you know and to be fair, I'm not sitting here. I'm not a doctor. I'm not claiming I know more than anything. But, you know, I've listened to enough podcasts and medical evidence and doctors speak on it that you know, I made yeah. my own decision that, hey, I'm good and you, you're free to do whatever you want, but fuck off. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's it's used. It was used the wrong way to in, infiltrate a lot of population control. And, yeah. and there's still people that are terrified and it divided our country so much over nothing. You know what I mean? And. You know, you can go on the conspiracy theory of this because you look at what was going on overseas. Like, we have ISIS, we got Iran, we got Russia, we got Ukraine, and everything you see on the news is not what's really going on. And I'll tell you that as an intel guy working overseas, like, once you see what's really going on and what CNN is talking about, I'm like, well, that's about 5% of accuracy. Yeah. You no, know, and no news and the truth and no truth in the news is what. Yeah, I was... and, and, and I honestly think that, uh, you know, especially with the Roe v. Wade being overturned in the U.S. and, you know, Queen Elizabeth dying and all this crazy shit that was going on when I was over there. At the end of the day, like none of that shit really mattered in terms of international security and combat operations. And we're kind of keeping they, they everything like on the put, hush hush. Yeah, they like to put other stuff at the forefront. Like I saw something the other day and it was a, a release of a conversation between a, new, a newscaster and someone else. That someone, someone was recording it. I don't think he realized, but he's like, 
we're now getting ready to push the climate change to the to the front and then next thing we know fucking greta dickhead is getting arrested right she didn't get arrested did she she got detained for some photographs fuck off but it's that, it's uh, what, it's such a distraction to western it goes even further mate so oxford one of our one of our big cities in the uk they're getting ready to put in climate restrictions so within a certain area you're not allowed to drive or anything you can't use your vehicles because of it's stupid yes it's fucking it's stupid like, <laughs> but it's is as though that is the base for their next thing is going to be right you've got vehicle restrictions now well, I mean, even look at uh, even Joe Rogan did that recent podcast with the guy talking about you know the child slavery you know, down in the Congo for cobalt yep. and how many you know hundreds of thousands of people were killing for lithium ion batteries. You know, people don't understand the impact yep. of the decisions that they make. And you know, we are so comfortable, fat, and happy in the Western society, in the U.S. and you know parts of Europe that we don't realize that we don't have any fucking problems. We don't. Yep. You know, you're looking at like I said, looking at these war torn countries in the Middle East. And looking at the desperate poverty these people live in. I mean, even these so-called like nice areas, like, oh, like Kuwait, everything's covered in trash and garbage outside yeah. of that three square mile city that they put on all their, uh, you know, recruiting brochures for, for travelers and tourism. Everything in the Middle East is covered in garbage, covered in trash. People are living, walking around in sandals, living in garbage everywhere. Mud huts. Everywhere. Mud huts, everywhere. It, and it's it's insane. And uh, I think one of the, the hardest things I had to deal with at least from a moral perspective, is there is so much modern day slavery going on in the Middle East right now that nobody's talking about. Um, you know, look at these big countries, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, uh, Kuwait, UAE, Qatar. You know, they have all these Pakistani and Indian immigrants there working and building their roads and doing all their shit jobs with like bamboo scaffolding, like no OSHA safety standards yeah, yeah, yeah. whatsoever. And yeah. And then they take their passports when they get into these rich oil rich countries and these oil rich countries are like, well, you make a lot of money here and they send it back to their families back in India or Pakistan, but then they don't give them back their passports and say, you have to work here for like free for five years. Yeah. And if you want even, even to, goes down to um, back, we can current event, the world cup. Yeah. Those stadiums were built through fucking Pakistani and Indian slaves. Back, back, yeah. Basically slavery. And I remember I caught an argument. With a with a with a because I couldn't resist. I got an argument with a bloke on Facebook because they were complaining about obviously the LGBTQI plus captain's armband that they weren't allowed to wear. You know, freedom of speech, civil rights, blah, whatever. And this bloke was going, and then he started banging on about oh, it's the most successful World Cup, the highest attendances. I went, well, the attendances are fake for a start because each one has been higher than whatever the capacity is supposed to be so say it's seventy five thousand people they all say oh it had eighty five thousand people in this it's ten thousand extra than what it's supposed to hold so already there's corruption there because they're trying to make out like it's the best world cup ever yeah and then you're like well perhaps those extra ten thousand and the ten thousand people that died building it that nobody talks about exactly um and then this bloke was like uh uh, 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 uh Free Palestine. It's like, what? 
And you got to understand, like, Qatar is also a super small country. I remember we were doing the security briefs and, and reading the intel on that. I was like, okay, so they don't even have enough housing. They're setting up tents outside to house people, and then they're going to traffic in people, fly them out at this every hour to make sure the country doesn't get over capacity. And I don't think Westerners really understand this. Uh, the Middle East does not give a fuck about what we believe in. <laughs> no. They don't care about – yeah, sure – LGBTQ plus whatever, uh, gay rights, transgender. Sure. If, if, if that's what you want to do, if you're over the age of 18, you can make all the decisions you want to do. I don't agree with that being pushed on kids. That's a whole different discussion. Um, yeah. I mean, which is becoming a horrendous thing. The fact that they're even trying to do medical conversions at 12 years old is insanity to me, but anyway, that, that's a, um, a tangent that we will probably go down. Yeah. It's, uh, they don't, fucking care about what american freedom is in the middle east it does not exist and i think uh americans overseas like i'm like hey man you can't wear that here you can't say that here women have to wear a head covering that's that's literally how it is otherwise you're going to get arrested you're going to go to jail and you can't act all surprised like america does not rule the world and when americans or westerners go overseas to these countries where they have extremely re strict religious policies you have to respect their culture you oh, have to you have to. I, I, I don't understand where people think they can do whatever they want. Like they have some kind of diplomatic immunity. I'm like, you're not an ambassador. Yeah. You're some random dude from Texas. Yeah. And that's one thing I did agree with with the World Cup is the fact that they did stick to their their beliefs and things like that. As they should. Do I agree with the fact that they don't allow people to wear a rainbow or be gay? No, I don't. No, but either do I. You know, it's their country. You can't, you can't come forcing Western politics and, and views because that's how we do things exactly uh, it you have to learn to respect other cultures yeah it, and one thing i do agree with with that world cup not having the alcohol involved probably made the world cup a, a bit better because there was less violence there wasn't especially from the likes of well my country we, we're quite renowned which is tragic for our hooliganism um especially when we get fucking pissed up and we just want to fight the world because that we're we're an island <laughs> we're an island we're islanders that's what we do um yeah <laughs> but yeah but i mean you're talking about if, if you got caught drinking alcohol there in an unsanctioned event but pretty much if you were a millionaire and you paid and you went to the special spot you could drink in Qatar. but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. um but they put on but, the, I mean, they put you're on just going to and things like that that you can yeah, go but you're going to jail you're going to jail. You're going to Qatari jail and you're going to be subjected to Islamic law. Like that's how it is. And what are you going to do? Like, please free me and start a Facebook campaign and a GoFundMe now. Like, <laughs> like oh, you never know. You might do what uh, Biden did and swap a Lord of War fucking arms uh, for a basketball player. Yeah, I, I honestly can't believe that even occurred. But, but once again, um, he literally is the movie Lord of War. <laughs> it is. It is the movie Lord. That's actually the. That's the guy the movie's based on. With is Nicolas that, Cage. That War. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is genuinely who that guy is based off of, and and with Nick Nicholas Cage's character. Great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's uh based on a true story from the guy that we just freed from yeah, yeah. prison. Just so, ego, join him back. Um, America's a weird place, man. I, I will tell you that now, and I think this deployment gave me a much deeper appreciation for Probably my country. Shit, man. <laughs> if he was LeBron James, I could probably like understand, but 
I didn't even know who this woman was. Yeah, either did I. And it's uh, for me, I think the hardest part uh, for coming back for me was I have such a deeper appreciation for what I have in America in terms of, you know, food and water and clean air because everything in the Middle East is run on diesel and it's just the smog layer. It goes up to like 4,000 feet. You can't even breathe over there. Um, but you come back here and I, I come back on my home, my little farm, <clears throat> my little family that I have out here. And it's just like, God, I am the luckiest guy in the world, you know, and outside of my little, you know, 12 acres, you know, fuck off. But because I, I cannot comprehend the incessant infighting in the, in the U S anymore. It's uh, I've had to like completely tune it out. And most of the stuff I talk about now is us versus them. It is. And I hate it. I I can't stand it. I'm like, Americans don't understand how good they have it. Uh, They don't understand how spoiled they are. Um, We don't have problems here. I can wake up and have a cup of coffee, not get shot at unless you're in Chicago, you know, but once again, gun laws and political policies. Right. But it's, uh, you know, I love what I have. I'm very thankful. I'm very grateful. You know, you know, even when I was overseas, you know, I grew up Catholic, but, uh, you know, I kind of walked away from the church for a long period of time. But when I was overseas, you know, I kind of reconnected with my faith a little bit. And it just, you know, gave me a deeper appreciation for having gratitude in my life. And I think that was something that, you know, I I probably thought I could do everything on my own. You know, I thought I'm going to win my case on my own. I could do this. If I keep pushing, I keep doing this. But at the end of the day, sometimes you got to ask for help with whatever you believe. Yeah, yeah in, right? of course. Of course, you definitely need a, a little bit of help, a little bit of guidance. And, you know, as you just touched on there, I'm not. I'm not a religious person by any means. If anything, I think most of it's a load of bullshit. However, I I admire those that do have faith because they've got that little bit of something that help keeps them going with in certain in certain times. And I totally admire that. And, and even down to those that are Muslim, Sikh, Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, you know, I I, I totally admire it as much as I think. Most of it is a load of shit, but yeah, sure. I mean, for me, uh, I got an amazing opportunity to go see, you know, the uh, baptismal site for Jesus Christ in Jordan. I got to see some pretty important religious sites historically, you know, I got to see kind of where the Bible kind of stems from. And that was, uh, you know, when we were out on one of our adventures, so to speak. Right. But it was, uh, it just kind of puts, you know, the dirt to the ground for me kind of thing. I was like, Oh, you know, like the stuff isn't just, uh, written somewhere in a book this is like this stuff exists and i'm physically touching this building that was here over two thousand years ago right so you know we don't have those type of historical sites in the u.s unless you go back to like native american tribes kind of thing you know you're still a baby country we are very much so and uh it just made me appreciate you know my roots whatever you believe in kind of thing a little bit more and it just made me have a lot more gratitude and a lot more uh you know having respect for what i have and i'm very great I'm very grateful for this, like these podcasts, and I'm grateful that I get to help people every day. I'm grateful that I still get to serve uh, in the U.S. Army, and um, you know, it opened up a different career path when I was over there. So, you know, there's there's five elements to U.S. Army Special Operations. There's uh, Special Forces. There's 160th SOAR, which are the Black Helicopter guys, the Black Hawk Down. There's 75th Ranger Regiment. There's Psychological Operations, and then there's Civil Affairs. And uh, when I was overseas, I got to work with some of those guys, and you know, I got invited to apply, drop my application for civil affairs because I specialize in oil and gas and, you know, water purification. So that's actually a job in the army. I didn't even know about that. So right. you know, I dropped my, I've dropped my packet and I'm going to see where that goes. And I think that's uh, the next career path I want to take is using my civilian expertise and providing those skills in the army. Cause I think one thing I learned 
exponentially overseas was we're going to have a lot more influence and ability to do the right thing by helping people live than we are by killing them. And I think if I can help them purify their water or find an energy resource so they can stop the infighting and, you know, uh, help stop those tribal wars, you know, that fight over these resources, then maybe I can do a little bit of good in this world, even if it's only for, you know, a couple people. So. Definitely. Definitely. So going all the way back now. So what's, what's next in terms of the case? Yeah. So I guess to sum that all up is, you know, my lawyers are working on the next packet to the Air Force Board of Corrections and Military Records again. Yeah, we're waiting for the Air Force to decide, you know, what they're going to adjudicate themselves for with the medical malpractice case. And in the meantime, you know, while we wait for that, you know, we're getting ready for the next federal lawsuit application, you know, because obviously, once we go through that administrative process, then we can apply for federal court again. Uh, since they gave us another administrative right. avenue, we have to exhaust all administrative avenues before we can go back to federal court in the U.S. So we'll be doing that. Uh, hopefully, John and I can hammer out the legal stuff for season two. Like I said, there's a, there's a few uh, very hot and contentious episodes with people who are currently running major million-dollar corporation companies that are USAFA grads who are implicated in that. So we are... You know, we're trying to make sure that, hey, all our bases are covered before we publish those episodes before, you know, the hate yeah, yeah. really comes out. Um, and in the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm really just pushing back towards the advocacy and, and really trying to help people that need help. Because at the end of the day, I think one thing that really frustrated me about going public with a lot of this stuff is you get a lot of the fake advocacy guys who come out or guys and gals who come out of the woodwork yeah. where, you know, their, their only objective is to get money. You know, they, oh, I want to sue the government because I was raped in the military and I want a million dollars. Like, well, that's not how this works, you know, and yeah. I've had to really distance myself from a lot of those people or these fake uh, non-for-profit organizations because my goal is to pass legislation that is illegal to falsify medical records in the U.S. military. My goal is to make this a law. So that's our next step is that's so, true. yeah, we're still yeah, we're still fighting these cases on the on the administrative side. Uh, but the next thing that John and Aaron and I will be pushing for is actually getting legislation written and submitted to a member of Congress that will actually take this up and try to get it passed. And if we can pass that, then we can say we made a real difference and we help um, thousands of people in the future not have to deal with the the things that I've dealt with or that many other people have dealt with. So this deployment was a great way for me to uh, get back to basics, appreciate you know, all the things in my life, whether that's religion or family or, you know, all the things that I've been granted and uh, give me a different perspective on the war uh, overseas, you know, with these people. And at the end of the day, it only has encouraged me to stay in the military longer as I can uh, to make sure that the young guys coming up have some type of guidance that is uh, someone who's willing to fight for them. You know, I mean, I'm willing to put my rank and my title on the line. I'm not, I don't care about politics in the military. I'm, I'm going to say it how it is and I'll stay in as long as they let me stay in. You know, and uh, hopefully, you know, the, the, between the Dark Saber and the, the Embark podcast that I also run interviewing other people that, you know, we're, we're making a difference one step at a time. And, you know, people like you helping giving me a voice and, you know, has really been inspirational to me and, and to everyone else who's been continuing these discussions. Well, it's something that I think everybody should be willing to put themselves out there to do, especially the fight that you're you're fighting for, you know having someone falsify your records is that shouldn't that shouldn't even be a thing 
to get it yeah. translation is 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 one thing, but it shouldn't shouldn't need to do that because it's your it's your stuff. But you know, it's it's truly oh my little things just uh pop it up. Hold on, it's it's truly a fascinating development that I've I've been watching over these past few years which is mad when when I think about it first off listening to you on Andy Stump to having you on the podcast now three times and still watching you still fight constantly but not only are you fighting for for the rights but you're still fighting for your country because you still love your country even as much as they've fucking shit on you from you know the air force the marines and now you're you're serving in the army doing pretty much all three is it's it's just it's gonna make a fascinating book and it's gonna make an even better movie that i'm definitely being part of just so yeah no i i hope so it's uh <laughs> you know like for me like i said it's uh i know the flag that i serve under and i know the purpose behind it the people will always change the people will rotate out all the time but the principles of why I joined have never changed since, you know, 2006. And, uh, it's one thing I always voice to new officers and young NCOs is always do the right fucking thing. Because even though it might not benefit you, you might put your career at risk a little bit. At the end of the day, you're going to be able to sleep at night 10 years from now knowing that you didn't screw that person over who was sexually assaulted or you stood up for them when they needed help and you helped them career developed and you prevented them from committing suicide in the future because they were given justice at the right time. Um, it's, uh, it's been a hard road and like, you know, I won't reach out to Andy again, you know, unless my case is concluded, because like I said, I've, I've been criticized a lot on the internet for saying, Oh, this isn't true. None of this is true. This guy's full of shit. You know, there's no way that this would ever happen. And it's like, well, you know what, man, it did. And it's because you have this belief in your mind that there's no way that this great organization, the U.S. military or Air Force OSI or the Air Force Academy can ever do this to somebody without you being a complete fuck up. And don't get me wrong. I made my fair share of mistakes at the Academy. Uh, I'm not perfect, but there's no way that I do anything criminally or enough to deserve how they've treated me and treated dozens of other cadets who've been in similar situations. Right. And uh, it's time for the young guys who are coming up behind me and, and women to do the right thing and change that culture, change that perspective. And I'm hoping that with as much as I've been sticking this out for over 13 years now is that I provide some inspiration to one person in the future who might become a general who at the end of the day, they're going to say, I remember that Dorito case. I'm never going to let that happen under my command. And that's all the change that I can hope for. That's what we want. That's what we want. Well, I won't take up any more of your day. I mean, it's been it's been a fucking brilliant chat as always, as always. But mate, as always, it's been my honor, my privilege to have you on. Thank you very much for giving me your time. Thanks again, Tom. Why not? Make sure let's get you on the Embark podcast this season on my side as well. Yeah, get me on it. I Absolutely, love I love talking. But have a good rest of your day. Enjoy your day off. We'll do, Tom. I'm gonna go uh, shovel some snow. Get back to work. All right. See you later. See you later, man. Thank you.